Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Crazy Happy. In this series, we'll journey through Jesus' most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, and discover the keys to finding the deep happiness we all crave. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you'll leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Does your world feel like it's upside down? What would it take to make you truly happy? Is it simply about having a good job? A big house? Losing 10 pounds? Or being in a fulfilling relationship? Did you know that God wants you to be happy? Not the world's version of happiness. What if it's not about the contents of your bank account? but the contents of your heart. What if it's not about what you can do, but what God can do through you? God wants you to have a blessed life. God wants you to be crazy happy. Well, happy May, everybody. Hey, let's give a big welcome to our live locations and everyone at Church Online. Welcome to Liquid Church. I'm Pastor Kyra, and I am so glad that you are here for week five of our series, Crazy Happy. You know, we paused our series last week so that we could actually honor our mothers. And can I just say, I am happy to report today I get to sit in a chair instead of running on a treadmill Thank you, Jesus, you are alive. <laughs> Guys, if you remember, we have been going week by week through the Beatitudes or blessed attitudes that Jesus actually taught in his famous Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to take a look at the sixth key to a life that God blesses. So we're going to open up God's Word to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and we're going to read this together, church, big, loud voice. Here we go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, we learned that the Greek word blessed, or the Greek word for blessed is makarios, which actually translates to extreme bliss or crazy happy. So here's how we translate Jesus' words. Crazy happy are those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I think this is one of the most counterintuitive beatitudes out of the whole bunch because our culture doesn't really care about the heart. We care about appearances. I mean, think about it, guys. We are absolutely obsessed with appearance. In fact, I know everybody here has heard three little words that culture feeds on every day. Image is everything. It's why the clothing and the makeup industry is worth billions of dollars or why there's a new diet trend or exercise fad coming out every year because we buy into the lie that as long as we're skinny, beautiful, we have nice, nice clothes and we look good, we have value in the eyes of the world. Now, church, I'll be honest with you, okay? Last week, I recorded our Mother's Day message for our online audience. And unbeknownst to me, I actually preached almost half of the message with my hair messed up. Okay, my headset got tangled with my hair and it got disheveled. And on Saturday night, I logged onto the computer to watch the message and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm actually preaching with my hair messed up. 
can I tell you, in that moment, image really became everything to me. I was so upset. I mean, here I am teaching God's word. And all I can think about is that the way that I looked was actually more important than I, what, what, what I was saying. I bought into the lie that images everything. And I had to repent because I realized next week, meaning this week, I'm actually teaching about being pure of heart. And here I am more concerned about how I look preaching the word than the actual words that I'm saying. And as I was praying, God actually reminded me that 1 Samuel 16 actually says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, what's the word, church? Heart. In other words, God cares more about what's on the inside of you, your heart, than what's on the outside. It also means, by the way, that God's not impressed with your accomplishments, with your achievements. He's not interested in how educated you are, how wealthy you are, how popular, how famous. All that he looks at is your heart. What's it like on the inside of you? And if he likes what he sees, then scripture says you're going to get to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So here's my question to you today. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Because let's be honest, right? Pure in heart is not something that we typically use to describe people, okay? We don't go around saying, there goes Jessica. She's got such a pure heart. Bless her heart. We actually, the word that we actually use for pure in heart is the word integrity, okay? Everybody say integrity. If God says, I bless those who have integrity, then what does it mean to actually have integrity? Well, integrity is actually defined as, as the state of being whole and undivided. Okay, it's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. It means I'm not this way over here, and I'm not this way over here behind the scenes. I'm actually integrated. Okay, I'm whole. I'm morally consistent whether anybody's watching or not. What you see is what you get because I have a strong moral character. Okay, when I think about integrity, I actually think about our executive pastor, Dave Brooks. Now there goes a man of highest integrity. And in the book of Genesis, we actually read God made us whole people in his image. And that wholeness actually includes spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual, and social dimensions. The problem is that as human beings, man, we have an uncanny ability to live compartmentalized double lives. Okay, there's an increasing split, a gap, if you will, a divide between our inner world and the external life that other people see. So I want you to think about it like this, okay? I want you to imagine that your life is like a pie. Now, each slice of this pie actually represents a different part of your life. So here we have the pie of work, okay, your career. And at work, you laugh at crass jokes, you gossip like the best of them, and you do the minimum daily requirement. Now, this slice over here is church, and at church, that's your spiritual life. And so you come to church, you sing, you raise your hands, you worship, you pray, and then all of a sudden, you go into your secret life, and that's where your shopping compulsions live, or your sexual or your alcohol addictions, the things that nobody else knows about. 
Then you move on to your family slice. And here you're the good daughter, you're the good son, the great husband, the great wife, you're loving, you're respectful. Then you move on to your relationship uh, slice. And there you say one thing to one person, say another thing about them to another person. Guys, if you live your life divided by that, that is the opposite of integrity. That is living a compartmentalized life. Everybody say compartment, compartment. Guys, you're not integrated. You're not whole. Because when you're whole, it actually means you're the same person with everybody you talk to, no matter which part of your life you're dealing with. You don't change. You keep it real. You don't fake it. You're the same person, no matter who you're with or whether people are watching you or not. That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, today I'm going to share with you four ways that you can become a person of integrity in a message I'm calling, Why Integrity Matters. Why does it matter? Because, by the way, there's actually a conversation happening right now in culture where people are actually saying, as long as you produce, as long as you perform, as long as you earn money, it doesn't matter how you live your life here in the privacy of your own space. All we care about is how well you perform. But guess what? Integrity actually matters to God, and so it should matter to you. Because if you develop integrity, you're going to be pure in heart, and you're going to get to see God's blessing in your life, in your family, at work, in your relationships. You're going to say, integrity actually matters to me. So how do you get it? How do you become a person of integrity? Okay, what does that even look like? Well, in Psalm 15, David actually gives us the answer of what it means to walk or live with integrity. Here we go. He, he's, here's what he said. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Guys, David is basically asking, God, who gets to be close to you? Who gets to live in your presence? Who gets to become your friend and experience your power? And here's the answer. The one who walks with, what's the word, church? Integrity. Now, David goes on to actually list the qualities of a man who has integrity. Quality number one, those who obey God in everything and always do what is right, whose words are true and sincere. Quality number two, and who do not slander others. They do no wrong to their friends, nor do they spread rumors about their neighbors. Quality number three, they despise those whom God rejects, but honor those who obey the Lord. Quality number four, they always do what they promise, no matter how much it may cost. They make loans without charging interest, cannot be bribed to testify against the innocent. Whoever does these things will always be secure. In other words, church, if you learn to live this way, like David is saying here, you're actually going to enjoy God's friendship and power in your life. So here's my question to you today. Anybody here interested in being God's friend? 
and actually experiencing the power of his presence? Because if you do, then you need to live with integrity in your marriage, in your career, in your parenting, in the way you make and the way you spend money, in every area of your life. And the Bible actually gives us the key to unlocking the way we can become people of integrity. So here we go. The first thing that you have to do in order to become a person of integrity is to examine your motives. Okay, look at what Psalm 15 says. Obey God in everything and always do what is right. Now, there is just one problem. Un problema, por favor. There isn't a single heart out there who isn't full of mixed motives. Okay, I want you to think about it like this. A motive is the underlying reason for every action that you take, every choice that you make, every decision that you make. And sometimes we think we're doing things for God or for other people, but in reality, we're actually doing it for ourselves. We do all sorts of things, even good things, I will say, for all sorts of wrong reasons. Okay, I'm going to give you a few examples. Let's say you spend time helping a new colleague at work. That's the right move. But truthfully, you just want to impress your boss. Wrong motive. You start coming to church. That is the right move. But you just want to meet people of the opposite sex to date. That is the wrong motive. You invite people over to your house. That's the right move. We need to be hospitable. But truthfully, you just want to impress them with your possessions. Wrong motive. You post pictures on social of your family vacations because you want to connect with people. Right move. But in reality, you just want other people to notice you are well off. That is a wrong motive, okay? Now, I have a, a little son. He's nine years old, and he has Down syndrome. Look at that cute little face. And typically, people who are part of the special needs population, they're thought of as pure in heart. And for the most part, I will say that's true because Andy's not really impressed by anything that this world values, okay? You can be smart, you can be highly educated, you can be well off, you can be good looking, and he's either going to like you or dislike you basically because of who you are and not because of anything that you can do, okay? You can't impress him with that stuff. Can I just say, by the way, time out? That is incredibly liberating, okay? If you ever need a time of healing from the pressures of this world, can I suggest you spend time with people who are poor in spirit? I promise you, you won't have to prove a single thing, and you're going to still be affirmed and accepted. Now, even though that's true, can I just tell you, my son Andy has mixed motives too. In fact, the other day, I came home and he just ran up to me, arms outstretched, and he's like, Mama, Mama. And I was like, Oh, he misses me. And so I bend down to kiss him and scoop him up, and he kisses me. And as soon as he kisses me, he grabs my phone from my back pocket and he runs off to his room. Guys, right move. He wanted to give his mama some love. Wrong motive. He just really wanted my phone. You see what I'm getting at? Instead of being pure, our motives actually get mixed in with things like pride, jealousy, lust, greed, just to name a few. And can I actually tell you what the worst part is? that we're not even aware that we have mixed motives. I actually love what Proverbs 16 says. It says, 
All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. We can convince ourselves we're actually doing things for the right reasons. Because can I tell you, there's no easier person to fool than the person staring at you in the mirror. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Okay, the human heart is deceitful. And it's easy to fool ourselves about our own motives. Like, I have to say, I see this all the time on the internet, by the way. Sometimes even with Christians, okay? Anybody here um, ever seen a humble brag? Anybody here know what that is? Let me show you an example, okay? I have an example here. This person is posting on the internet for everybody to know, I just paid for someone's lunch at Wendy's on Bay Street. Enjoy your day. Hashtag humble brag. Now, I just love, it's a right thing to do. They want to help someone. Wrong motives. They just want to brag. And by the way, can I just tell you, I love that somebody calls them out. Somebody else responds, you know, most people do this without looking for a re recognition, just saying, but um, it was a nice gesture. And then, of course, they can't help themselves. So they go back in and they say, I'm not really looking for any recognition. I just wanted to say you're welcome. And then they respond again. Most people actually wait for the thank you. <laughs> I love that. Guys, we are full of mixed motives. And so we fall into this trap of doing things because we're more interested in our image. But God is actually interested in our integrity. Okay, we're interested in our reputations. How are we looking to everybody else? But God is interested in our character. Because while reputation is what everybody thinks that you are, integrity, on the other hand, is what you really are. Reputation is what you are in public. Integrity is what you are in private. When it is just you and God. And God actually says, blessed are those who have integrity, who are pure in heart, because they get to be my friends. Remember Psalm 15 and what it says? It says, those who obey God in everything and always do, what's the phrase, church? What is right will be found blameless with integrity. So how can you keep your heart in the right place so that you can always do what is right? I'm actually going to share with you guys a question that I journal pretty often, I'll, I'll be honest. Whenever I find myself in situations that actually trigger my desire to receive external affirmation or approval or anything else that actually leads me down a path of mixed motives, I take time and I actually ask myself this question and I journal it. Are the decisions that I'm making a reflection of God's desire for me to be pure in heart? In other words, when I decide to buy something, when I want to say something, when I want to take part in something, when I'm ready to make a move, when I'm going to make a decision, when I'm going to make a choice, am I doing it to please God or am I doing it to please myself? Church, if you sit with that question long enough, I promise you, you're going to uncover your motives instead. And once you uncover your motives for every action and decision that you make, you're going to be able to keep it real and keep your heart in the right place. So first, examine your motives. And the second way to becoming a person with integrity is to refuse to gossip. Okay, we have a Puerto Rican saying, I'm going to loosely translate it here, but it says something like this. 
I don't like to gossip, but it sure does amuse me. Anybody here amused by gossip? If they are, don't point to them, please. <laughs> People who refuse to gossip actually have what's known as relational integrity. Now, the problem is that as long as humans have lived, there has always been gossip. Even though all of us can agree that at some point in our lives, we actually grew up with some form of, if you don't have something to, nice to say, don't say anything at all. Am I right, church? Whether it's workplace gossip, family gossip, gossip texts between friends, guys, it is inevitable that everyone who talks, talks about other people. And I love Webster's definition of gossip. It actually says, gossip is a person who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts, often without confirming them first. And what does God's word say about that? Psalm 15 is actually very clear when it says that to be a person of integrity is to be a person that speak words that are true and sincere, that do not slander others. They do no wrong to their friends, nor spread rumors about their neighbors. Can I just be honest with you guys? I actually think gossip is one of the most widely tolerated and most destructive sins in the church. Because if you think about it, we actually camouflage it with prayer. I just wanted to tell you, so-and-so are getting a divorce, and I'm just telling you, because I want you to keep, you, you know, keep them in your prayers. That's why I'm really telling you. I just want you to pray about them. But the problem is that gossip actually alienates friends, it ruins reputations, it leads to ostracizing behaviors, and it leads to other forms of relational aggression. And one of the main reasons that we don't deal with gossip is because we excuse it as no big deal. We actually think it's okay, it's not a big deal, we tolerate it in ourselves and other people. But the reality is that if you're saying one thing about someone and another thing to their face, you're living a compartmentalized life. You're not being integrated because you're not being real. You're actually being a hypocrite. Did you know that? And when you spread rumors and you spread gossip, you actually hurt people. Now, in 2013, I was astounded to read that the Associated Press actually tweeted that there had been two explosions in the White House and that President Barack Obama had actually been injured. Guys, in the span of six minutes, the Dow Jones actually plunged, and the S&P 500 was reported to have lost $136.5 billion, all because of one tweet that ended up being not true. Because here's the reality. Gossip is finishing its second lap before the truth can even get its sneakers on. You guys ever heard that phrase? You don't have to lose billions of dollars to actually know the power of hurtful gossip and false rumors. And that's why the Bible is clear that when you say one thing here and one thing there and you gossip about people, you lack integrity. You're not living an integrated life. And guess what? You're not going to have God's blessing on your life if you keep on gossiping like that. We can't be pure of heart if we're intentionally spreading rumors, breaking people's trust, and slandering reputation. Proverbs 13 says, A gossip can't be trusted with a secret, 
but someone of integrity won't violate a confidence. And that's what we need more than ever before. We need men and women of integrity who don't compartmentalize their relationships, who actually refuse to break confidences or break secrets because they can keep a confidence. Men and women who actually can control their tongues and use its power for good, not evil. That, my friends, is the face of integrity. It's being crazy happy to not gossip so that you can remain pure of heart. So three facets of integrity. Examine your motives, refuse to gossip, and the third way that you can become a person of integrity is to keep your promises. Church, keeping your promises is about verbal integrity. Okay, you actually keep your word. That's what Psalm 15 is getting at, by the way. They always do what they promise, no matter how much it may cost. Because when people you know keep your promises, they know you, they're going to do what you're, they say they're going to do. Okay, that if they say they're going to be there, people can actually expect them to be there. If they say you can count on me, people know they can count on them. That's what being an integrated person is about, okay? You're not going around saying one promise out of the side of your mouth and then breaking the other promise on the other side of the mouth. That's compartmentalizing, and it's the opposite of integration. In fact, you know what the Bible actually says? I love this verse, by the way. You know what the Bible says about people who don't keep their promise? Look at Proverbs. It says this, Proverbs 25. People who promise things that they never give are like, what's the word, church? Clouds and wind that bring no rain. Translation, they're good for nothing. Okay, they are full of smoke and mirrors. You ever meet somebody like that? Where they just yes you to death, but then there's no follow through. Like they don't actually say what they say they're going to do. I mean, that's something very difficult to handle with on a day-to-day -day basis. Am I right? Like, how did that make you feel? Not great, I bet. And so here's my question to you, church. What promises have you made that you haven't kept and that you need to keep for integrity's sake? Did you make a promise to your kids and now you have broken it because work got in the way or money got in the way and you have broken that promise every single time? Did you make a promise to your spouse? You promised them, I don't know, that you would finish the bathroom and you haven't done it yet and it's actually causing relational tension between the two of you. Did you make a promise to God? You made a spiritual promise, a vow, and you haven't kept it. Church, when you don't keep a promise that you have made, when you break a promise, you lack integrity. Remember Psalm 15 says, God blesses the one who walks with integrity. They always do what they say they promise, no matter how much it may cost them. Even when it costs you more than you thought it was going to cost you, you need to keep your promises. Why? Because when you do what you say you're going to do, your words become sincere and you become pure of heart. You're actually going to get to enjoy God's presence in your life. So keep your promises. And that actually leads us to the fourth and final facet. The final facet, the final way of becoming a person with integrity is to do your best at work. Because when you do your best at work, you have vocational integrity. And what I mean by that is that you actually do your very best work 
even when the boss isn't watching. Now, I grew up with a pharmacist dad, okay? My dad was a pharmacist. And one day, I was at home, and my dad showed me a vitamin bottle with the words or the acronym MDR on the label, which stands for Minimum Daily Requirement. You guys ever seen that MDR acronym on the bottle of a vitamin? brightly displayed. It's actually a promise that if you take the vitamin, they're going to do the minimum daily requirement. But can I tell you people, we're not meant to do the minimum daily requirement because we're not a vitamin. Okay, turn to your neighbor and actually tell them, you're not a vitamin. Don't do the minimum daily at work by goofing off, by standing by the water cooler, you're gossiping all day, you're playing solitaire on the computer, you're reading magazines, you're taking supplies home to your house, you're coming in late as long as you're not being noticed. Can I tell you what the Bible actually says about people who do that at work? I love this Proverbs, just so full of wisdom. It actually says, Proverbs 18, slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. That's what God says about it, that if you're goofing off and you do poor work, God actually says, that's like vandalism. In fact, another translation says, a lazy employee is as destructive as a saboteur. Now we're really getting deep in here, okay? Because essentially what the Bible is saying is, I'm sabotaging somebody else's business when I don't give my best at work. And if I don't give it my best, I actually lack integrity. Again, I'm compartmentalizing my work life from the rest of the areas in my life. So why do you lack integrity if you don't do your best at work? Guys, because if you're a believer, your boss is in your boss. Okay, can you actually say my boss is in my boss? Because you know who your boss is? Your real boss is God. And whether anybody else sees it or not, God does. And you know what Paul actually writes in Colossians 3? He says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And what's the phrase, church? Let's read it all together, one big loud voice. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Can we say that last sentence all together? It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Can I just tell you, church, this verse has Monday morning application. Okay, if you want a verse that you can apply tomorrow, this is it. This is the verse. Because if you work in a supermarket, can I just tell you, it's not the manager that you work for, it's the Lord Christ that you are serving. If you work in a middle school, it's not the principal or the parents that you're teaching for, it's the Lord Christ you are serving. If you work in a company, it's not the CEO or the owner that you're working for, it's the Lord Christ you are serving. Because when you work hard at your job, you're actually integrated. You don't just do it because the principal's observing you, and you don't just do it because you want a nice bonus. You actually do it because it's the Lord Christ that you are serving. And Jesus is sitting in the classroom with you. Okay, he's actually in the office 
with you. He's wherever you go to work, and he wants you to be the same person at work that you are at home. In other words, as believers, we don't subscribe to this way of thinking in the culture that as long as people make money, as long as they can be productive, they can behave however they want to behave in their personal lives. Because as long as they produce at work, you get to do whatever you want at home, even if that means being a completely different person. Church, for the believer, it's actually the opposite. We behave the same way at work and at home, and we do the best in both. Okay, at work, we put in the extra effort. We go the extra mile. We're honest. We don't cheat. We're not lazy. We work hard. And when we're home, we're fully present with our families. We love our spouses. We love our kids. We honor them in the workplace. We honor them in the way that we speak about them. We honor them in the way that we speak to them. That's the mark of integrity. Can you imagine how the world would be changed if every Christian went to work on Monday morning with integrity and you actually said, you know what? I don't care if everybody else slacks off. I don't care if everybody's just saying, well, that's good enough for government work. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to give it my best shot because I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I do that, I'm going to be crazy happy as I live with a pure heart. Now, church, the first step to becoming a person of integrity is actually to own up to the fact that we don't have integrity. Can I just be honest with you? We love to gossip. It's like a juicy morsel that we love to chew on. Okay, we break our promises all of the time to our kids, to our spouses, to our friends. We slack off at work, especially on Fridays after 2 p.m. Am I right, people? We don't always examine our motives. In fact, sometimes we're not even aware that we have mixed motives. And can I just be honest? I am guilty of every single one. But if we want to be pure of heart, Jesus' invitation for us today is to live wholly integrated lives where we actually don't compartmentalize. We actually are the same person in every area of our lives, no matter who we're talking to. And here's the problem, guys. If your life is like this, where you actually have integrity, maybe in four, maybe three out of five areas, you think you're good, but do you actually know what God says? He says you're on the Titanic. Guys, you remember the Titanic? You guys remember um, Leonardo DiCaprio? I'm the king of the world. I bet you remember that. The Titanic was supposed to be this, the first unsinkable ship. Okay, everybody thought the Titanic couldn't sink because it was this big ship. But here's the real reason it actually sank. It was the first compartmentalized passenger ship. And the theory was that if it got damaged, if it took on water, if it took on a leak, it would only flood one compartment, not the entire ship. In other words, if there was like a hole on the south side of the ship, it wouldn't actually flood the rest of the ship, or so they thought. Because let me show you something. When the Titanic sideswiped an iceberg, you can actually see the devastation was immediate. All of her compartments started to flood one after the other after the other. And the effects of the flood 
was actually immediate. You can actually see the weight of the water starts to sink the structure under the water. And then the first funnel goes down. And the weight gets to be so much, the ship actually breaks in half. And this unsinkable ship, what was once thought of as an unsinkable ship, the first compartmentalized ship, sank to the bottom of the ocean. And sadly, thousands of men, women, and children perished at sea on that day. Can I be honest with you, church? It's the same thing for you. You think, everything's going well in my life. I can handle this, except you've got this tiny little thing over here in your secret life that no one knows about. You know what that's called? Compartmentalization. And that's a problem because you think you have a compartmentalized life. I can handle it. I can handle a secret life here at work. I can handle a secret life with my family. But truthfully, you've got a hole in your boat. Church, you have a hole in your boat, and it's only a matter of time. Because when you're a different person at home, you're a different person at work, when you say one thing to someone, and you say something different about that someone, sooner or later, all of that stuff's going to catch up with you, and it's going to take you down. Why? Because we were created in God's whole image. And we need to live lives that are wholly integrated. And so today I want to end with two things. I want to challenge you to actually look at each of these four facets of integrity. And I want you to ask yourself, which one am I lacking in my life? Is it to examine your motives? You do things but you're not really sure if you're really doing them to please the Lord or to please yourself? Is it that you need to refuse to gossip next time you're at work and your colleagues, you know, they're around the water cooler, people start gossiping, you get a text from a friend, do you actually join in or do you actually refuse and say no? Is it that you have to start keeping your promises? Because you've been saying one thing out of the side of your mouth, but then on the other side of the mouth, you're breaking promises everywhere you go. Or is it simply that you need to start doing your best at work because you recognize, I've actually been subscribing to the vitamin theory. I've been doing the minimum daily requirement, and I actually need to start doing my best. Before I preach this message, I'll be honest with you, church. I examine myself. I asked the Lord, can you examine my own motives? Can you search my heart in all these areas? How am I doing? And do you know what I realized? I don't have a hole in my boat, but I got a few leaks, and I bet you do too. And so I thought that to end our time together, we would end it by celebrating communion. On your way in today, if you're at one of our physical locations or if you're at home, you can grab some juice and your crackers. I would love, you got a little communion cup, and I'd love to end our time together by coming clean before the Lord and actually taking inventory of every compartment of our lives. Because I want you to examine your heart and ask yourselves, is there a hole in my boat is there a leak? Because I promise you, we have them. We all do. And so I want to end our time 
by taking the Lord's Supper together. And I want to read to you this verse that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He actually says this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And here's the most important part that I want you to do today. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. Church, that is Jesus's invitation to you today to examine yourselves, to actually confess to the Lord, what compartment do I need to integrate to the rest of my life? Where do I have a hole in my boat or a leak that Jesus is inviting me today to integrate into the rest of every area of my life. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to pray and think about that, to ask the Lord to search your heart, and then we're going to take communion together. Church, on the night before Jesus died, he had a last meal with his disciples and he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. You may take the body now. And then he said, this is my cup. This is my uh, blood shed for you. I want to invite you today right now to take the cup. And I want to end our time together by actually joining David in this beautiful prayer of examination where he actually asked the Lord, search me, O God. Search my heart so that you can create in me a pure and clean heart so that you can renew, Lord, a steadfast and right spirit within us. So let me just pray for us. Lord, I thank you that today your invitation is to search our hearts, to examine which compartments we need to actually integrate. Lord, your word is clear that to be a man, to be a woman after God's own heart requires a fully integrated life where we are the same people in every area of our lives. Integrity matters to you, Lord, and so it matters to your children. Help us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us confess, Lord, the areas in which we need help, the areas where we're still lacking. We receive your forgiveness today, Lord. That's what you died on the cross for, to forgive us. But Lord, help us now through the Holy Spirit, holding Jesus's hand to actually the next time we're faced with a choice to be integrated or to actually continue to be compartmentalized to say one thing on one side of our mouths and then another one on the other side lord help us to actually make the right choice the choice that pleases you because when we do that when we live in that way you say there goes my son there goes my daughter they have a heart after my own and so we want to be that kind of children. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to, to serve you, to learn how to be people of integrity. And so we pray that we would be doing that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 
thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.